You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church, to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of The Worship Review. We are in series number four now, and this podcast has been going strong for over a year. And we are going to be looking at songs that are sung in the church. We critically evaluate those songs, providing a kind of peer review process because my co-host Tyler and I were worship leaders for quite some time, or certainly uh, guys that led the music in evangelical churches. Uh, for me, between the two of us, I'm sure we got more than a couple decades of experience doing that. Um, but now we have proper careers, and so we're passing on our experience and uh, whatever limited amount of wisdom we have in the form of this podcast. Um, my career is a history professor. Tyler, you're a linguist, right? It's true. Yeah, man of many words. <laughs> Indeed I am. <laughs> so um, the song that we're going to be evaluating today is a song called Living Hope by Phil Wickham. Tyler, the best thing probably to do before we actually get into some of the words of this song is to probably just give a summary. What is your summary of this song? Initially, my reaction was to look for something like living hope in this song, identified, and I, I went to First Peter uh, 1. This song is a description of the salvation of an individual and the fulfillment of the promises of God mm-hmm. to that individual. Okay. Yeah, and you referenced First uh, Peter 1, which was where we get this phrase, living hope. So verse 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power was being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Peter was responding to Paul's long sentences by trying to compete with them there. Yes. Uh, I, and it's an it, impressive, and, but meaty sentence. Yes. Right. So we learn in this passage that the living hope is that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And so my initial reaction was, let's read the song and find this yeah. inheritance. Okay, so let's, get, let's do that. Let's read through the uh, lyrics. And see what we find here? Yeah. Okay. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. What's going on, Tyler? Well, we have... No, no, no. I just mean like, how how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great, Colin. Thanks for asking. Uh, It's setting the scene. And the scene here is that there is a chasm at night. I am on one side and someone else is on the other. There was a mountain before me which I was unable to climb. 
And we actually have a, a something of an inciting action here. Okay. So in, in kind of um, classical literature, right, you have this action that begins all of the rising action leading up to the climax. And it seems like here it is this turning to heaven and speaking uh, Jesus Christ into the night, your name yeah. into the night. Does it bother you at all that there's both a chasm and a mountain? I did. I, I was trying to picture it in my head, and I thought, okay, so <laughs> we have this great mountain? hole in the ground, and then also a great mound coming out of yeah. the ground. And I wonder if there's maybe two. You have to pass the chasm. There's like multiple levels, like in a video uh, okay. game. You pass yeah. the chasm, and then you like trials get to yeah. the mountain. But either way, th- this person is seems to be incapable of crossing the chasm except maybe by the cross bridge that we talked about yeah. two episodes ago i think this is referencing that directly that by image the way. yeah that, that it's called the bridge diagram and please explain so for our listeners this. well i didn't look i didn't look up much more than the title but it's a way of sharing the gospel where you draw a diagram there's a chasm and then there's like a dude on one side a stick figure and then there's god on the other side and then you put the cross in the middle and then you walk across the cross so Um, I have problems with this way of sharing the gospel, of course, because if anything, what we see in scripture is God coming to us, not us walking to God. You know, it's predicated on this idea of the cross making a way for people to be saved and not the cross being the means by which God actually calls and, and possesses a people, um, for his own. So, you know, people of different theological persuasions are either going to find this uh, diagram compelling or problematic, but I think this is a reference to that diagram. It just seems a lot like it. Do you think then that this is a reference to that for nostalgia's sake, for encouraging people who were saved by this evangelistic tactic, or do you think this is meant to be an evangelistic song? I mean, it could be all of the above. So I think the most charitable reading of it is whoever wrote the song, I don't know if it was Wickham that actually wrote it or if he co-wrote with other people or whoever wrote it, probably just has this kind of thinking about what the gospel is in there. And I mean, it's very common. It's much more common to have this view of the gospel than it is that, that you know, that Christ um, applies automatically his sacrifice to the people that he calls. That's probably a view that is nowhere near as prevalent as it was a couple of centuries ago. Um, but so I think that's probably true. It may also be the case that some calculating executive somewhere was like, look, this is a an image, this is a this is like cultural language or a kind of uh topoi that that we can use to evoke familiarity in a song, which you know, familiarity sells. I mean you know, which star, which of the new Star Wars film doesn't have a lightsaber battle, right? So, I mean, anytime, you know, cuts, you know, a lot of these remade films are purely just showing fans things that they've seen before and being like, look, you know what this is. Be happy with this movie. Doesn't matter. It doesn't have a plot, you know. Doesn't uh, matter if it's contradicting right, the director exa- who made yeah. the previous one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars review. Um, but yeah, so. The Warship review. There we go. Yeah, I mean, so, but it, so it could also be calculated. But either way, it's definitely referencing it. Well, we figure out what the night is, I think, in the next half of this. Then through the darkness, 
Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. This is confessing Jesus Christ's name, Mm -hmm. um, speaking it into the night, turning to heaven. Um, The night of the soul, it seems like. The shadows are mentioned here. Um, And then your loving kindness. I thought it was fascinating that this word was chosen because this is most prevalent in the King's, King James translation of the Bible for uh, chesed, or steadfast love, as it's yeah. often translated. Um, so, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul makes God's mercy an agent here. And, incredibly, now the work, this climbing of the mountain and or crossing of the chasm, is said to be finished, accomplished, the end is written. And I wondered if the end of the end being written is meant to mean it's accomplished. Like Jesus' final words on the cross are, it is finished, or tetelestai, it is brought to accomplishment. Right. I thought this was an interesting transition because it seems like the the plot just started, so to speak, if we're still thinking about this as a play in three acts or whatever. Um, this person just cried out the name, and then all of a sudden, the work is done and accomplished. So I thought this was interesting. Um, and then we have Jesus Christ, my living hope. Uh, I wondered if this was a play on words, because remember we read in First Peter, there is a living hope in the New Testament, which is our inheritance that is imperishable yeah but jesus christ is alive that is to say he is living yeah and he is our only hope yeah in life and in death and so he is our living hope in a sense and i wondered if this this song was intentionally playing with those words or if that's maybe an so. accident no i think it is I, in the same way that it's kind of playing with the image of that diagram it seems to kind of know what it's doing yeah it, it, i mean also Again, if I were being picky, I would say, well, why did they choose the word loving kindness? Is it syllable structure? They needed a certain number of syllables? Or is it also meant to kind of induce in people feelings of archaic yeah. English and these sentiments that they maybe and, remember and from And scripture generally, before. right? That is, a, that is a word you find in scripture. Yeah. You know, and, and really nowhere else anymore. I don't know of any other place no. I've ever seen loving kindness no. used. So it's a kind of stylistic way to reference scripture. Right, mm-hmm. and it is true, also, right? Loving kindness is a good, you know, explained as a useful way to talk about God's steadfast, you know, and faithful love. I was reading a little bit more about it, and it seems that scholars are not all of the same opinion. Oh, this probably doesn't surprise anyone, but some don't even think it can be translated into English uh, because it's such a complicated idea of love that is unmerited, but also the product of a covenant and related to someone keeping their promises. Hmm. Um, that is a very large number of syllables to communicate yeah. uh, something practically. But My only additional comment on this is, uh, I don't know where the Kaz Mountain went. So now the problem is that 
um, there are shadows in the guy's soul. Okay, which I'm not sure. No, what... no, no. These are the same shadows from the beginning. I think this is the darkness. Uh, right. This is the night. I okay. have to think they're all the connected. The night is the, are the shadows of the soul. The night and the darkness and the and shadows. The, and the Cas Mountain. And the the Cas Mountain. <laughs> I'm trying to think how I could translate that into uh, German. <laughs> it would be funny. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, I'm, like I'm doing the German thing. Look at that. That's uh, right. Although, in, strictly speaking, it would be Chasm Mountain. Chasm right? Mountain. Chasm Mountain. So I don't. I don't know exactly what happened to it, but here's what I do know, Colin. The work is finished. The end is written. So, okay. um, I was playing with my son today, um, and we were looking at this book, and he pointed at this rocket ship in the book and said, they're going to church. And I said, how do you know? And he said, they're going to church. Oh, okay. I think, like, this <laughs> means <laughs> the work is finished. The end is written. Like, stop asking questions. They're yeah. going to church. Yeah. And it's true. <laughs> this is true statements, right? In Christ, it's finished, right? Yeah. The end is written. These are true things. And in fact, I actually think this is getting close to a pivot point. Um, this second half of this stanza is a pivot point where the song moves away from kind of resting on metaphorical language and getting closer to substance. Yeah, because we have meditation on his mercy, on what it means for him to love us, and descriptions of his work. Yeah. Let's get into that. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. So the next set of lines is. Who could imagine a he could who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The king of kings calls me his own beautiful sin. cross is spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living hope wow yeah so wow, indeed wow like, wow wow it's like suddenly drops the nuclear bomb on us right it's like it was kind of pensive and now it's like okay here you go truth bomb Yes, and I don't mean to be harsh. I wonder if he had help writing this because it seems it, so different it, it, from the it first is. verse. It, it comes across as a bit town indie or something like that. Like it, it, it. Well, Phil Wickham at least is credited as having written this song according to the Christian Copyright Licensing International database as having co-written this song with Brian Johnson, a musician and also a worship pastor and he's the president and co-founder of bethel music oh yeah of course yeah that's yeah, that's the guy so i wonder if but Brian he doesn't johnson I, it yeah, doesn't he strike doesn't me do as stuff bethel like music this. yeah text either so in any event this there's there's a drastic tone and content difference between the two verses but i think what we see here in the second verse is there's a reflection on and an, ext- an extrapolation 
of what loving kindness meant in the first verse, right? So who could imagine so great a mercy? This is reflecting on the greatness of God's loving kindness. What heart could fathom such boundless grace? I think we see something reminiscent of Ephesians 3 here, where Paul has written to this church, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In this passage we see, and also in this song we see reflected on, the idea that um, it is not within our human capacity to even begin to comprehend the greatness of God's mercy and love for us. And we need divine aid in doing that, uh, in the indwelling Holy Spirit, to imagine so great a mercy or fathom such boundless grace. It, It doesn't come natural to us as humans. Um, I mean, mercy for me looks like, I mean, I'm speaking a little bit, frankly, perhaps, but not getting angry if someone cuts me off. Yeah, mercy is not getting what you deserve. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this is a mercy that goes above and beyond to even love enemies. And then we have a description of the incarnation. The God of ages stepped down from glory and then the atonement to wear my sin and bear my shame. Yeah, so nice that we actually have a mention of sin here, right? Yes. Not uh, just a euphemism. And and shame is clearly tied to sin. It's not just this nebulous problem. Right. This is the kind of, I mean, this is where it's like the two different songs thing. It's like the first half of this song or the first few stanzas of the song were, were very nebulous about what the problem was. It's like a mountain or a valley and shadows in the soul. Whereas this is like, no, it's sin, right? It's just, this is just, this is a lot of declarative Yes. Comments in this. Boom, 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 boom. Yes. And in fact, I thought this might be a reference to Psalm 8, 3, and 4. When I look at the heavens, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It seems like this author is keenly aware of his um, finitude and smallness before the God of ages. And we see that this same, this very same God who dwells in glory bore his shame or the author's shame and sin. But more than that, even that he calls me his own forever. I am forgiven and the cross has spoken. Yeah. Really definitive comment about the permanence of salvation. Yes. Right? Whereas you've got, a, you've got other songs in kind of this genre that are very wishy-washy, right, about this matter. Whereas this song just got, has real definite, this is what salvation is, this is what it does, and it's forever. Right. And here, it's a little bit figurative of language, but it's the cross speaking. I think the cross has to be interpreted here as representing yeah. the entirety of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Um, but this, I, I am, this cross has spoken. I am forgiven. 
These are in the present perfect tense, meaning they refer to a present state on the basis of accomplished actions in the past. So I am forgiven is a description of my present uh, and unless something changes, which is yeah. not going to future state. And I think that idea of the cross speaking is kind of a, a massaging of Hebrews 12 verse 24, which talks about Jesus being the mediator of a new covenant and that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's not talking about the cross, but it's talking about the blood of Christ shed on the cross, which I think that might be what... So crying out from the earth in a sense. Yeah, exactly. Like the blood is what, it, it in a way, is, is part of the declaration that makes us righteous, right? That Christ's very actions, right, are declaring something about those whom his blood is applied to. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. I had to think of, in Christ alone here, this death has lost its grip on me, because just in the... What does this rhyme with in Christ alone? Yeah. Um, um, since curse... And uh, as we stand in victory... Since as we stand in victory, since... Victory. And I actually think... This is one of a few places in the song, and I'll get to this in time, where I also wonder, again, I'm in no way making an accusation of plagiarism. We're all influenced by stuff. But I think this part of the song has a, a kind of in Christ alone vibe to it. This, this, these just like statement after statement after statement. Um, it just seems to just be kind of... Um, and this grip on me, that that phrase is really known from in Christ alone. It opens with hallelujah, right? Praise ye Yahweh. Uh, and then right after that, praise the one who set me free. Um, well, we see in Isaiah 61, which we mentioned on a recent episode, the day of the Lord's favor, where um, this servant of the Lord proclaims liberty to the captives. And so we see that uh, reflected in this course, you have broken every chain and also death has lost its grip on me. It reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And I thought this statement that there's salvation in your name also may have been another play on words. Ah. Because... Jesus is the same name as Joshua, right. which means Yah, yeah. or God, is salvation. Yeah. I thought, okay, is this a very clever, there's salvation in your name play on words? It might just be. Maybe it's a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, there. this seems like a common a kind of phrase that we see in Christian songs and just Christian culture general that the name of Jesus saves, right? There's salvation in the name of Christ. Yeah. Although I do think at some point, Colin, something that we should do on this podcast or maybe as an adjacent project is create a dictionary of the Christian lexicon yeah, that or something would be like fun. that. Someone does need to do that. Maybe it's us. Who knows? Can you imagine 
if you were a Martian, no, not even a Martian. Let's say you, um, let's say you're a Russian and you learn English and you come to the United States and then you go to a church here. Let's say you're used to Russian Orthodox churches or something. Yeah. Um, there are things that Christians say and do here that would sound, if you parse them literally, absurd. Yeah, and sure. I don't mean to say that they are absurd. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way that the they're lexicon described, yeah. is laid out in such a way that some things have been codified into everyday use and don't make a ton of sense. So yeah. um, that's not a problem with this song, but we have run into them in the past. Oh, yeah. And we will again, I'm sure. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe. Out of silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Whoa. Whoa. I I chuckled at the whoa thing too, but then I thought, if there's a single moment in scripture where a whoa is warranted, the resurrection is that. It's a crescendo. I mean, it's definitely like, it's just builds, right? Truth after truth after truth after truth, and then the victory, right? It's the climax. Yes. So yeah, makes sense. Um, the, The morning referred to at the beginning of this verse is clearly the resurrection morning just to be i I realize it's almost so obvious that it doesn't need to be stated but it may not be obvious to everyone it sealed the promise i thought this was interesting language too whereas a seal on a letter or an envelope or something is a marker of the validity of the contents of something and so we have this promise of i think i think what's meant here is we have our resurrection that is promised and Christ's resurrection as the firstborn from the dead seals that and verifies that obviously God's character alone is enough yeah. to verify that. Yeah. But the, but the resurrection, right. Affirms that Christ's sacrifice was accepted and therefore he is raised again and we will be raised as well. Right. right. We've talked about this in the context of other songs too, which didn't get this right. Yes. And I think that's why Paul even says if Christ didn't, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Yeah, like we are right. worse off than the, right. than the Gentiles. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, do you notice how like, just like even the main character is different now? Like the first part of the song, it was all about this person in the valley. And but at this point, like it is all about Christ at this point. Like it's just. Yes. You know. Even to the point where in a line like declared, this is the roaring lion speaking, decla- not Aslan, of course, but uh, Jesus. Although I thought, this was oddly similar to the Chronicles of Narnia. Sure, which the um, Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia of course, are oddly similar to, to Scripture. Yes, of course. But, I mean, even the point where it's... Yes. Uh, you almost expect to see the mice chewing off the ropes from, yeah. from the Roaring Lion. I'm not, obviously, trying to be trite about this, sure. but... Um, the Roaring Lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. And I thought, because of the way the song is laid out, I don't quite know, obviously, absent punctuation... 
it would lead it to be about the singer, this me. I don't quite know who the me is, right? Yeah. Did did this lion declare the grave has no claim on the singer, or did the lion claim the grave has no claim on the lion? No, I I think we have to read this as the singer. Yeah. Yeah, I think again, I think you're doing your linguistic thing. Fine. Maybe. Maybe. That's what they pay me for. <laughs> that is what they pay extent. you a small amount of money for. <laughs> um your buried body began to re- Did you think about this? Did this strike you as curious at all? Um yeah, it's it is an interesting way to kind of zoom in on something that scripture doesn't tell us about but which we can assume happened, which is right, Christ's body was a corpse. And then, of course, what actually happened? Well, he began to breathe again, right? His blood began to flow. Um, these are things that we have to think about would have actually begun to happen as he was resurrected. So it's kind of a way to add a bit of um, grit isn't the right word, but sort of a bit of it takes us into the fact the the, the bodily detail of the fact that Christ was resurrected. Yeah, and it illustrates what that must have looked like at the yeah. beginning. I, I, I was, I found it curious because I was trying to decide whether I thought our glorified bodies would be ones which would require respiration. Yeah. And we've talked about this before too, what the glorified body will yeah, encompass, whether it, whether we breathe and whether that sort of thing, which I don't know. We have lungs. We were probably originally designed with, we were originally designed with lungs. Well, yeah, and, and Christ speaks after his resurrection, yeah. which tells us air can move from the lungs across the vocal folds yeah. to produce sound. So um, I think we have good reason to believe we'll at least have lungs. Yeah. Um, but there's also the problem of do we require oxygen yeah. to sustain our lives? We, we will have imperishable bodies. Yeah. And so... Uh, it's an interesting thought experiment, probably not one that is worth spending a no, ton of time no. on. I will say this is what uh, wiser men than yeah. I have said. This is Westminster, Larger Catechism 52. Uh, this gives us some kind of footholds hmm. describing Christ's resurrected body. Um, it says that he had the very same body in which he suffered with the essential properties thereof, but without mortality and other common infirmities belonging to this life, really united to his soul, he rose again from the dead the third day by his own power. So, whether or not breathing is an essential property is an open question. But his body was the same. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, just real crescendo to the, to the song. It's this nice combination of truth that feeds emotion i think in a good way it's not emotion kind of just hyping us up for no reason it's it's you you can't help but be moved by these truths about what god what christ did yeah and the victory is said to be his yeah great i mean it's really good oh and and the last thing in the outro we see jesus christ is called god which is very good right he's fully god fully man and um this Kicks out all of the people who, hopefully not many, but if they're around, we want them to be corrected on their false views if they yes. do not the confess yeah. a Trinitarian God. So, yeah. Colin, let me sum up this song. Yeah. 
it's a little bit disjointed. It begins in a different place and with even different subject matter than it ends. But it describes a journey from darkness into resurrected life for an individual. And more importantly, it examines the life and work of Jesus and the grace and loving kindness of God yeah. for a sinful people. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think certainly by the end of the song, it's um, really um, strong, hard hitting truths about Christ, clear gospel, clear cross, clear resurrection, clear victory in Jesus. Um, God centered, you know, God becomes the main character. Like this, the second half of the song is a good example of what it looks like to have a song that discusses what happens to the individual without making it about the individual. Um, the first half of the song or the first few verses, the first few stanzas in the song are not as good. And uh, it really is like two songs. I mean, even stylistically, it's just, it's like, I mean, when you read it and don't, like I read this before watching the video and listening to the song, it's like, it's like I was looking at two songs. I mean, it really, it seems like there are two different hands even that wrote this song. Like if I were looking at this like a historical source, um, I would be like, okay, this is clearly like, this is some earlier original that has then been modified later by some second hand, an editor or a, you know, just a, a later author of some kind. Like if I were looking at this as a historian. Rating, Tyler? I gave it four out of five looks into the camera. Two-thirds <laughs> yeah, to no the kidding. music video. There's a, a scene where the, the fourth wall is not broken, shattered, yeah. torn to pieces. It, it, it's not just a brief glance. It is a full-on yeah. stare into Phil Wickham's eyes right. for the Wickham gaze. Know, 30, 45 oh, seconds. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But, okay, I thought on the whole, though, this was a tasteful video. Like, it was pretty simple. Recording It's just a performance video. Yeah. I mean, compared to, like, the song that we did last week, right, which was this utterly contrived video, like, this video was very simple. It fit the song well. It's still a contrivance, though. Oh, of I course. Thought, yeah, because yeah. what we were hearing was clearly a very neat studio production. And oh, then yeah. what we were seeing was a bunch of people all playing all at the same time, which obviously yeah. what we heard is not a sure. song which was all played in the same room yeah. at the same time. Fair point. But yes, it it was very subdued and seemed very sincere, mm -hmm. um, even to the point of staring into the camera for 45 seconds. Well, I also gave it four out of five. I gave it four out of five Andrew Petersons. Andrew Peterson is another Christian artist. Um, he wrote a song called His Heartbeats. And this is a stanza from his heartbeat. See if you've heard something like this before. He breathes in, his living lungs expand. The heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again. He breathes out. He is word and flesh once more. The Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. And his heartbeats. A lot of similarities there um, with that final... Um, stanza in this song we've got the lion we've got the breathing we've got the focus on the body coming back to life that's kind of what that andrew peterson's song is all about um 
I don't know maybe who was influenced by who. I guess we'd have to look at the date. The Phil Wickham song is 2018. I think the Andrew Peterson song is right around that time as well. It might be a bit later. Maybe 2020. Okay. So maybe actually Andrew Peterson influenced by Phil Wickham. Uh, to be honest with you, Colin, both of those sound like they were influenced by Aslan. Okay, sure. And I understand, like, obviously, C.S. Lewis was yeah, yeah. drawing from... I mean, the whole Narnia uh, sagas are laced with these references, but... Yeah, certainly the Narnia stuff's there. Anyway, also gave it a 4 out of 5. And again, I think if that first half of the song would have been better, it's a 5 out of 5. Certainly everything that happens after that, I think, is phenomenal. Oh, very good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Worship Review. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we always have fun, certainly, doing this. And uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on what we've covered. Did we miss something? Did we get something wrong? Or, as normal, did we get everything exactly right? Yes, which is what we expect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what always happens every time. You should send um, us to your worship leaders at your churches. If, yes, that if would be... You'd like them to consider a song. Uh, that way, you can passive-aggressively tell them what you think yeah. without it coming from your mouth yeah. you can just you can, in fact you can be like and i heard these two guys talking about this song I, I don't know what i think of it but you know maybe it'd be useful to you right and it's a song that we're just tearing apart because you do not want to do it oh tyler i saw a church that as a fundraising effort um to the highest bidder will give that person the right to block a hymn for one year in the church. Isn't that a clever <laughs> that idea? Funny. So whoever bids the most money gets to pick a hymn oh. that will not be sung for a full year. You should follow that because then whatever they end up blocking, I'd like to do on this show. <laughs> that, would I think that would be good. I'll send them an email and find out what, what was, uh, whether they see if they'll tell me what was blocked. Um, well, anyway, yeah. seriously though, listeners don't, don't be passive aggressive and no. don't make us do your dirty work, no. but uh, do share us, uh, share this podcast with worship leaders, because that is, you know, one of the main groups that we'd like to reach and help with what we're doing. So. Indeed. And right. worship leaders who listen to the show, please tell us if we're uh, missing something yeah. or, um, especially things about the music that we don't go into as much detail about. We'd yeah. like to do that. We don't presume to be untouchable experts. We certainly aren't. We're just, you know, people who had some experience just like you folks, if you're leading worship. So it's really, yeah, love to benefit from what you have to say as well. And we have indeed benefited from some listeners who have done this sort of thing, I think. All right, take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash